Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And today, we're going to cover an interesting topic that was a suggestion from Shay Lee. And you might remember Shay uh, in her alter ego as Alimona, who sabotaged my episode about how matches work. And now she's back. Hi, Shay. Hi. I heard Alamona ran off with the quizster. Yeah. That's well, a union made in H-E double hockey just gonna, sticks. They're just going to burn it all to, to the ground. Burn yes. it all down. So to give some background on what this episode's all about, Shay reached out to me and asked if I had ever done an episode about a specific piece of internet folklore called uh, erratus. And we're going to get to that. We communicate in stories and your traditional folklore, these are the tales that are passed around. Typically, they're not even written down. They're, yeah, just, they're It's oral tradition. Just told around the campfire. Right. And now the campfire has turned into creepypasta. Yes, which we will talk yes. about. So, uh, you know, that, that also developed into things that we call uh, urban legends. Urban legends is just another type of folklore, but it was a, a subset of folklore that kind of grew into, as we started to see the Industrial Revolution, we saw, saw people move to the cities. You know, it became less of an agrarian world and a lot, lot, lots of the, uh, a lot of regions in the, around the world became more urban and less uh, agrarian. And a different set of, of folklore tales started to arise. A lot of them are like tales of warning. Yeah. You know, say, like don't trust strangers. They're <laughs> or morality tales. Yes. Yeah. A lot yeah. of morality tales too. Yeah. A lot of them are like, yeah. see what happens if you do this thing that breaks our social mores. You will suffer like these people did. Yeah. See what happens when you take candy and or apples from strange women in the woods. Right, right. Except now yeah. it's like when you're going trick-or-treating, if you don't check all the candy, you're going to end up with razor blades and poison, right? Yeah, I've never found a razor blade in any of my candy. Yeah, no, so. no one— In my 27 years of trick-or-treating. No one ever did until people started worrying about it, and then people would— Do it as talk, a joke. Or, yeah, yeah, or like— or like it would be, oh, I discovered this, and it turned out that they had planted their own discovery, that kind of thing. Kind of like the um, the Excedrin murders. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So one of the things I wanted to to kind of allude to, to kind of set the stage for the stuff we're going to talk about today, which is the more internet-based stuff, I'm just going to give an example of one of my favorite urban legends of all time. It's a it's one that's been told a billion different times. It's been written in lots of different anthologies. Uh, Shay, you'll appreciate this. When I was in uh, elementary school and middle school, the books I checked out the most in my school library were all about urban legends, ghosts, and other types of paranormal, supernatural kind of stuff. We have that in common because I did the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I stopped believing in it, so that's where our paths divulged. Uh, no, um, so it diverted, I should say. So the story I want to tell is the Vanishing Hitchhiker story, mm -hmm. classic story. Yeah. So the the basic version of the story goes, a guy's driving down a, a road, a dark country road at night. The rain is coming down really hard. It's hard to see. And as he's driving down the road, he sees a, a young woman walking along the side of the road. And so not wanting her to get 
totally frozen out in the pouring rain. He pulls over and offers her a ride, and she gets in the back seat of his car, and out of a sense of concern for her, he gives her his jacket to wrap around herself, and then she gives him an address. And so he starts to drive, and otherwise she doesn't really communicate with him. He gets to the address. When he gets there, he looks in the back seat, and the girl's gone. And he never heard the car door open or anything. He doesn't know what happened. And his jacket is gone as well. There's just a, a like a the the seat's wet from where she had been because of the pouring rain. But otherwise, there's no indication. So he goes to the house where he had the address and knocks on the door to find out what the heck is going on. Uh, a woman answers the door. Typically, it's a woman in this in this legend. He explains what has happened. The woman goes pale and says, no one by that description lives here, but there was a young woman whose family lived here before us, but she died uh, years ago, and she's buried at such and such you know, cemetery. So he goes to the cemetery, and when he comes up on the grave of the young woman, there's his jacket resting on her gravestone. Vanishing hitchhiker. Ooh. And it's very considerate to leave his jacket behind. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, like, otherwise, she's up with Teen Angel and looking at rings and jackets, you know, just an accumulation of wealth that they've had over the years. Oh, I remember that movie vaguely. Well, I was talking about the song, but oh. sure, yeah. <laughs> There's a whole genre of music that's dedicated to teenagers dying. So, that's an example of an urban legend. It's one that's been told, like, there's yeah. lots of variations. Well, the internet has its own versions of this. And we're also going to talk about in this episode how the internet reinforces the communication of these stories and reinforces people's belief in it, largely through the behavior of those who are sharing the stories. Yeah. And also the way the platforms themselves work. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned creepypasta. Yeah. Let's explain what creepypasta is. And I guess first we have to explain what copypasta is because creepypasta is a subset of copypasta. Before I learned it from you, I actually didn't know that creepypasta was a subset of copypasta. I just thought it was... Its own thing. Just a name of a forum. Yeah, well, yeah. Because no one ever talks about copypasta anymore, but yeah. the it's it's a, a sort of a portmanteau mm -hmm. of copy-paste, right? And it's the fact that a lot of people, to share stories, what they would do is they would find something on the internet that was interesting, maybe in a message board or whatever, Yeah, copy it, and then paste it into some other message board or whatever. And that's Plagiarism. how... Yeah. Usually there was no attribution. Like I often, would get expelled for that if I tried that. Well, they weren't necessarily <laughs> they weren't necessarily trying to pass it off as their own work. I know. But rather but... like, I saw this crazy story or this funny joke or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes when you're doing that copy and pasting, well, one, you might lose the attribution. So you don't know who originated the thing. Yeah. And two, sometimes you lose the context. Like, is this a joke? Mm -hmm. Is it a piece of fiction? Is it supposed to be an account of something that actually happened? Creepypasta is a subset where it's specifically about spooky, creepy, paranormal, typically kind of stuff. Yeah. Or not necessarily paranormal, but often paranormal. Yeah. Um, or like the unnamed serial killers of 
Yeah. Like the hook that's hanging on the car door. Yeah. That kind of or thing. Jeff that's, the Killer. Do you know who Jeff the, Jeff the Killer is? I do not know who Jeff the Killer is. Jeff the Killer. Which is weird because it's in his name. Yeah. You would think, uh, well, Jeff the Killer is a baker, obviously. I'm oh, shit. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> listen. Sorry. Listen. My dad was Jeff the Killer. I'm Jeff the Baker. <laughs> and um, kind of a boogeyman type story. Very like, oh, he comes into your room if you don't share this or if you share it a number of times or yada 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 and um that for me the story isn't what's important i'm sure you've seen pictures of him when you're just scrolling through facebook have you seen like the picture it's like a big white creepy face that it's been so edited that there's like no nose and just a big creepy smile and huge eyes and it usually has like a caption that says go to sleep under it or something? I probably have. Yeah. I've seen a lot on the internet. Yeah. I don't remember most of it. But, um, so Jeff the Killer, there's many incarnations of Jeff the Killer. There's, you know, the creepy guy that comes into your bedroom and kills you and all that. I um, hate that guy. Oh, yeah. You know, he's so inconvenient. Yeah. Uh, and inconsiderate. But, um, they, some, because of creepypasta and just all the threads about Jeff the Killer, there were Jeff the Killer fangirls that would draw little, like, little romantic, you know, heart images of him as, as yeah, as if that's like their, their Brad Pitt. That, this is, mm-hmm. this is messed up. So, it is messed up. So we wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of examples of creepypasta. This is just the beginning of this episode too. Each, each section we're going to talk about a different kind of subset of internet folklore. But creepypasta is one that is pretty easy to reference. And, uh, one example of it, although it, it didn't necessarily start as creepypasta itself, because creepypasta tends to be in the form of some sort of story. Yeah. Um, a lot of early types of creepypasta fell into one of two categories. It was a story about something that supposedly happened to someone, mm-hmm. and it could it could be presented as fiction. You didn't have to present it as if it were real. Yeah. But it's it's given in that sort of tale. Or it was you know, lost episodes of certain types of shows or movies or things that that uh, no longer are shown, but they do exist. Yeah. And there's something creepy about what happened. Like, it's that one really dark episode of Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Like, there are versions of, of it. Now, that, that particular style of creepypasta fell out of favor fairly quickly. Like, yeah. it was kind of like a creepy version of fan fiction. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the most... Prominent examples is Slender Man, which didn't start off, as I said, as creepypasta. It started off as kind of an exercise. Uh, there was the Something Awful forums. Mm-hmm. It's a, a forum board on the internet. So people would get together and have conversations about different topics. And this was particularly in a thread that was titled Create Paranormal Images. So it's just people trying to use Photoshop to create images that were unsettling or had some sort of alien or paranormal uh, aspect to them. Yeah. Like the idea, like make something that if you were to look at it, people would go like, ooh, that's – what is that? That's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. So this guy named uh, Eric Knudsen created – a a picture of an elongated, like a, a, an unnaturally tall, unnaturally mm-hmm. thin figure with an odd, like obscured face. And it became known as the Slender Man. He also included a little bit of flavor text to kind of give some uh, a very 
shifty background on this character yeah. and, and attaching him to the fictional fire. And then the internet took that. And ran with it. Boy, howdy. <laughs> yeah, so there were all these different uh, people who contributed to fleshing out the mythology behind Slender Man. So the legend of Slender Man grew mm-hmm. online, right? And it was on all these different communities. And people within that thread had already predicted that some of the images that were being made were likely going to end up on websites about the paranormal. Yeah. But they would be submitted as if they were genuine examples of evidence as opposed to somebody specifically crafted this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in fact, that did happen, including with Slender Man. And so that's where we started seeing more discussions about it, including people who were sure that they had heard of this character before. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that was one of the points you wanted to make, right? Yeah. Um, I worked with a girl a couple years ago, about five years ago. She swore up and down that she and a bunch of internet friends contributed to uh, the creation of Slenderman. Um, not, I don't, she didn't mention anything about the Photoshop, but the way, if I can remember it correctly, the way she presented it to me was that she and a couple friends were just chatting over the internet and somebody on the thread or the forum said, hey, let's make a legend and or let's make a let's let's make an urban legend. And they probably already had their, you know, base material with the pictures and the other yeah, the little flavor text and yeah. stuff. But she swears up and down that she contributed to the creation of Slenderman. Um uh, Red Letter Media believes that they contributed to the creation of Slender Man. There's a video called, very appropriately, Did Red Letter Media Invent Slender Man? Um, three guesses about what that video is. Yeah, and, it was mostly done tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, but they th- their criteria was that they made a short film. That had a, a character that... Was bald and wore a suit. Yeah. And, it, and he was ominous, so that makes him Slender Man. But by that... By that um, criteria, then, like, the gentleman from Buffy, our Slender Man. Yeah, from the episode the, Hush. And the silence from Doctor, from Doctor Who. Who. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he's Slender Man. And, you know, ominous bald guys, you're Slender Man, dude. Are you, are you Slender Man? Listen, I'm only, <laughs> I'm only ominous when I'm walking to work. When I'm walking away from work, I'm whistling and, and I'm jaunty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's a good point. And, like, it, when we were sort of brainstorming this episode, one thing Shay said that really stuck with me is like everybody made Slender Man. Like, like every, yeah. It was like one of those stories where you just like, He's like, the internet's baby. Yeah. We all made him. But, uh, but his actual creation date is something that we can trace back to that Photoshop uh, thread, which we even know when that was originally posted, which was June 8th, 2009. It is so rare when you can actually trace a legend back to its point of origin. Now, granted, it grew much larger than that thread. Yeah. And, and in fact, it even factors into a, a real-world crime. Mm-hmm. And um, this is one I'm sure anyone who's followed the, the story of Slender Man knows about. There were uh, a group of young girls in Wisconsin, and two – they were all friends. And two of the friends lured the third one – uh, out to a remote location and then stabbed her. Uh, she fortunately w- survived the the attack and made a full recovery. 
uh, and the two uh, attackers were uh, committed to mental health institutions for at least you know, a while. You said that one of them is is currently coming up for parole soon? I, I didn't actually read the article on it while I was scrolling through the social media interwebs. One day I saw an article. I didn't read the article, but I saw the, the headlines said um, one of them was up for parole, and apparently the family of the victim is not very happy about that. Understandably yeah, so. understandable. It, it is certainly one of those stories where you feel awful for everybody. You feel terrible for people who have lost enough connection with reality to not be able to tell the difference between uh, a fantasy and what is actually real. Mm-hmm. But then when you're a kid, it, that's that's a tough distinction to make. Yeah. Honestly, these days, as an adult, it could be a pretty tough distinction to make. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And the whole thing with internet folklore is that the problem with it is that so much of it seems real. Yeah, it's presented yeah. as it's completely sincere and real. Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to think that I don't believe in a tall child snatching bald guy but i mean at yeah. late at night you see something like this and your imagination starts to fill in gaps yeah. and then you know you start to you start to believe things that are not necessarily true might be true yeah that's well, fair uh, we wanted to chat a little bit about uh, also a couple of other examples of creepy pasta really quickly, and this next one was one that surprised me because you, you also mentioned Candle Cove, yeah, which I had not heard of before you mentioned it. I hadn't heard of anything about Candle Cove until maybe a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just I was at my mom's house one day visiting, and she and my stepdad were really into the show, and it was Candle, and it's the show I think it was on. Sci-fi? Yeah, it's sci-fi. Yeah, it was on sci-fi. It was their, it's their Channel Zero yeah. series. Yeah, that's what tripped me up. Um, uh, but yeah, it was a show called Candle Cove, and they were really into it. And she was explaining to me, you know, the, the, the premise. The premise. The premise sounded familiar, so I don't know if I had, you know, encountered the encountered original. The original. But I looked it up because, on, honestly, the reason I was looking it up is that I recognized one of the actors from Parks and Rec, and I wanted to figure out what his name was. And as I was looking it up, all the information about how Candle Cove started off as, I, I don't think it was on Creepypasta, but it was it, it was definitely a Creepypasta-style story. Yes, it was, yeah. uh, it was written by a guy named Chris Straub. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is, I've talked to Chris Straub. Oh, cool. Personally. <laughs> Years ago. So Chris Straub's also a web comic yeah. artist. And I wrote for HowStuffWorks.com, I wrote the article How Web Comics Work. Mm-hmm. And he was one of my sources. And I did a full interview with him, chatted with him for about probably an hour while I was researching this work. And uh, it's so interesting because, again, I had no idea until we started researching this episode yeah. that he had contributed this piece of internet lore. So the original work is presented as a series of posts, again, on a message board. Yeah. Uh, so With seemingly a lot of contributors. Yes, so, yeah. but, it, but it's it's the work of fiction of one person, but yeah. presented in the way as if it's a thread, a, a conversational thread between multiple mm-hmm. people who all remember this children's show that no one else seems to realize existed. And... It starts off pretty innocently, like, yeah. hey, does anyone else here happen to remember this show? I remember watching it as a kid, but 
I don't, I can't find anything about it. And so I'm wondering, like, did I just imagine it? And other people say, oh, no, I remember that show too. And again, this is all part of the fiction. Yeah. I think like the the big twist is not only is the show super creepy, as people remember more and more about it, it, it starts to appear more and more sinister. Yeah. But one of the details released is that uh, the 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 person who started the thread chatted with his mother mm-hmm. about what had happened and his mother said, Oh, you would always say that you went to wanted to watch a show called Candle Cove, but you just changed the channel to static and sat there and stared at it for thirty minutes. Yeah. So again, very, very kind of creepy premise, but that has taken a life of its own where not only is it a television series on sci-fi where they they take elements of that and they wrap other narrative around it. Mm -hmm. Um, But on top of that, uh, like I even debated on using, on on including this because I thought, well, clearly this is a work of fiction. People know it's a work of fiction. No, there are YouTube interviews or YouTube videos, I should say, titled is was Candle Cove a real TV show? And I thought, well, if you have to make a video about it, then there are people wondering about it. <laughs> yeah, because there's there's videos of like original Candle Cove episodes, which I'm pretty sure are just lifted from the show. Or as a or they might employee. be some yeah. or they might be some like fan made yeah fan made thing. Because there were fan fictions written about Candle Cove. Yeah. 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 A lot of these actually would get a lot of fan fiction added to it. And uh, the other thing that this reminds me of is something called the Mandela effect. um, Actually, that's technically the Mandela effect, but I've heard it pronounced the wrong way. But it's named after Nelson Mandela. So have you heard of this effect? I've heard of the effect. I don't actually know why it's called the Mandela effect. So Nelson Mandela uh, was imprisoned for many, many years. And the Mandela effect refers to this belief that people had that they had heard newscasters in the 1980s announce that Nelson Mandela had passed away while in prison. But that never happened. But people swear they remember seeing those newscasts, but it never happened. There are other examples of this. Uh, The two that people tend to cite pretty frequently are the Bernstein Bears, where it's it's spelled stain at the end. That's the correct spelling, but everyone thinks it's Steen, S-T-E-I-N, instead Mm -hmm. of S-T-A-I-N. And they swear, like, no, I have a book, and it's spelled the other way. It's the Bernstein Bears, not the Bernstein Bears. And the other one is uh, everyone's convinced that the comedian Sinbad was in a movie in which he played a genie named Shazam. Apparently, he was in, like, a weird promo where he was a genie. But it wasn't. It there, wasn't a there movie. There was no movie called. Yeah, there was Shazam. no movie. Yeah, but those are all like internet legends that ended up sort of get growing, and and this Man, uh, Mandela effect or, or mm-hmm. Mandela effect had this uh, added benefit of people hearing something and then convincing themselves that they too had experienced it. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Now. We actually have tons more we could talk about. Like mm-hmm. th- there are other elements, not just creepy pasta. There's stuff like inspirational stories that are referred to as glurge, where <laughs> I've never heard it referred to it as that. It's you had to be on Snopes.com back in the day on those message boards. But glurge refers to stories that are meant to tap into those sort of sappy emotions that we have. Uh, they also tend to be kind of dark under the surface, but it's it's the inspirational story counterpart to creepypasta, except it's often passed as it 
really happen yeah. and it turns out it's never anything verifiable. But rather than go on all about that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some conspiracy theories. Now, we started off this episode talking about works of fiction that aren't necessarily intended to be taken seriously, but sometimes take a life of their own outside of their point of origin, and then they are taken seriously. There are other times where there's just a joke or a hoax that people end up taking as a sincere message. And the first one I wanted to mention is, is one of the earliest examples of an internet hoax. It actually dates to December 1994, when very few people even knew what the internet was. And it all involves the company Microsoft supposedly acquiring the Catholic Church. Huh. Che, you're a Catholic. Yeah, So, (laughs) So do you own shares in Microsoft? Is that how it works? I mean, I, I have a Mac, so I don't, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's right in front of me. Yeah. Um, I... If if my mom secretly owns shares in Microsoft, then you know she's got some splaining to do. Yeah. But <laughs> so so had you heard of this before? I actually never have. Maybe, and I went to Catholic school for so many years of my life. Yeah, I'm surprised I never heard this. Ninety four. How old were you in ninety four? I was two. Okay, maybe that's <laughs> why you didn't hear about it. Okay, uh, whereas I was older than that. So. This was a joke, and it was clearly a joke. It was a press release, supposed press release, but it was, you know, a joke in the form of a press release, supposedly from the Associated Press, which is, you know, it's a legitimate organization. Uh, It even had a byline by Hank Voorhees, was supposedly the name of the person who, who wrote up this press release. Any relation to Jason? Not Voorhees. Okay. Uh, So... Uh, yeah, and I even wrote, just imagine what Clippy would be like. I see you're trying to transubstantiate. Would you like some help? <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the the hoax, the press release hoax even included a supposed quote from Bill Gates, who was referring to religion as a growth market. Uh, obviously, that was part of the joke. And uh, it said that Microsoft would get exclusive electronic publication rights to the Bible. So they would be able to. Well, only one version of it, not the King James. No, it'd be the yeah, it'd be it'd be whatever's the most Catholic version. Yeah, uh, the, the the longer version. Yeah. the Catholic version of anything is the longer version. Ever been to a Catholic wedding? Yes, I have. It's still going on. I know. I, <laughs> I had to sneak out. That was seven years ago. But yeah, this, like I said, it was pretty clear it was a joke. And yet, huh. there were people who. Either they got mad because they thought that Microsoft had been perpetuating this joke and they said this is in poor taste and Microsoft got flooded with complaints. Or there were a few people who thought it was a genuine press release and they were horrified about it and they were reaching out to Microsoft to express their horror and concern. It got so bad that Microsoft actually formally denounced the joke on December 16th 1994, released its own press release to say, no, we had nothing to do with this announcement. We definitely did not buy the Catholic Church. We know, we don't know who it was that created this. We have no connection to it. We are sorry that you're upset. 
which was weird that they were apologizing for something that they literally had no control over. Yeah. I mean, this wouldn't be the only time that Microsoft would get connected to internet legends and hoaxes. There's, well, yeah. Yeah, there were also ones that said if you forward this email, then Bill Gates is going to give you like $10,000, which oh. was never true. Oh, those chain letters. I remember those email chain letters mm-hmm. quite well. Yeah, thankfully those have kind of died down. But yeah. you, you sometimes will see the equivalent on Facebook where it'll be like, usually on Facebook it's share this, but don't share it, copy and paste it. Yeah. And by the way, that message, don't share this, copy and paste it, that's pretty much a dead giveaway that what, what you're being asked to do is to perpetuate a hoax mm-hmm. because – the justification you usually get is we don't want the people who are most vulnerable to be targeted, yeah. so therefore copy and paste it. Uh, or Facebook's algorithms will not promote this yeah. if you share it. That's not true. The reason they don't want you to share it is because if you share it rather than copy and paste it. It can be linked back Yeah, you can it. trace it back to the point of origin. So, it's not, But the Microsoft Catholic Church stuff sounds a little Jonathan Swifty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a... It was a a pretty odd thing to see uh, become, you know, a hoax level. Again, I don't think it was intended as a hoax. Like, to me, this sounds like an Onion article and someone mistakenly believing that a satirical article is a real thing. Like a modest proposal type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And when when you see people taking something that was meant as satire sincerely, that's not... Scary. It is scary. Although sometimes it's you could also argue some people are just really bad at satire. Right? Yeah. And sometimes things that people claim are satire just are lies. Yeah. It's not satirical. It's just a lie. And uh, you know, perpetuating a lie and then telling people, "Oh no, it's satire." Mm. That's not a get out of jail free card. Yeah. My joke didn't land. Oh, don't worry, it was just satire. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was a bad joke. Right. Right. Or or it, there's not there was no joke structure there. You were just telling falsehoods. Yeah. And then you got mad when you got called out on it. Right. Uh, so that is a very early example. And then the next one is sort of the genesis for this whole episode. The Aratus. Story, E-R-R-A-T-A-S, although sometimes it's just with one R, E-R-A-T-A-S. I'm glad that you've established that we are saying erratus. Not not, er, I, not er, erotic or— I was saying like eratus. So. Well, it's errata. Erratus, yeah. Errata is already plural, so it's mm-hmm. already it's already got a problem with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's pluralized uh, in an Anglican way, How? but errata would already be the plural, and it means, like, errors, right? Yeah. You typically would say, like, you would publish errata to say, these are things that were uh, included in the previous published work, which upon— Were false. Yeah. Were wrong. They were wrong, yeah. yeah. Might be a typo. Might be that there was a misplaced decimal in a figure or something. So the misspelling of erratas is in itself a— Errata? Ah. Well, except it would be an erratum, right? Oh. It wouldn't be— Full circle. It's eratiception. Okay. So this is a weird one. It's a very odd story. It's actually kind of hard to to explain because it gets wrapped up in about two or three different Different kind of weird things. Yeah. Uh, Supposedly, eratus itself refers to some kind of computer algorithm. Yeah. That's used by HR or something. Or – used by companies to remove material they don't want on the internet. Mm -hmm. Like, think of it as it's supposedly an algorithm that can 
seek and destroy content and remove it from the internet automatically. Yeah. Uh, typically uh, described as a way of removing stuff that's infringing on copyright. So like a takedown. Yeah. Uh, so let's say that you, I don't know, you upload the entire film Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon to YouTube and you just have it hosted on your own account. But why would you? Because it's the greatest movie ever made and I will brook no discussion upon the matter. And then this uh, erratus computer algorithm would could be could be sent to take that down. There's no need for that. YouTube has a very effective, some would say over-effective means of, of taking down stuff that gets copyright strikes on it, uh, either demonetizing it or taking it down entirely. There's no yeah. need for an algorithm. But the other component to this is that supposedly the algorithm could find and remove references to itself. Yeah. Like if you, I, what it's, when I was researching, it seemed like it was saying that if you, if anybody even typed in Eratus into like a search engine, it could somehow not really damage your computer, but it could like track you just by looking it up or something yeah, like that. Like, yeah, like, like a lot of stories went were about how <clears throat> someone was supposedly working for a company yeah. and came across some mention of Aratus. It was like a box labeled Aratus. Yeah, or like a division that had the name Aratus. And then they would do an internal search on their uh, uh, intranet, right? The, co- the company's intranet, not the internet necessarily. And that this would suddenly raise an alarm among the bigwigs and that person would be dismissed, fired from their job, or they would be discouraged in no uncertain terms to leave all that alone. Yeah. And so it was just this idea that it was a forbidden search term Mm -hmm. to the point where people were perpetuating stories that you shouldn't even search for it online because it could come back to haunt you. Don't even think the word. Don't even think. Yeah. Meanwhile... Seemingly not connected to this at all, there was a YouTube account created called Kronos for Life that appeared to be mostly dedicated to a very odd video talking about the Jurassic Park yes, film. Yes, it was like a fan video of Jurassic Park. And with, have you watched these videos? I didn't watch the video. I watched clips of the, like, snippets of the videos themselves. So a lot of the videos have, like, white text on top of, yeah, like, there's, there's that's, no. That's in- illegible. Yeah, there's yeah. no, there's no, like, voiceover. Mm-mm. It's like the, the narrator is communicating via text, but it's white text over light background. So it makes it, and sometimes it's only up for a, a short number of frames. And it's. And the video itself, along with the text, is so poor quality. Yes. No matter how you watch it, that it's hard to read no matter what. Right. So you get you get the sense that the person who made this uh, is either doing some very interesting but strange performance art, or maybe they're not. Yeah. They're not well. That's mm-hmm. another possibility because it, it comes across very disjointed, illogical, difficult to follow. Yeah. Things that would typically be unsettling. Yeah, it was kind of conspiratorial, but you didn't really know what the conspiracy was. Right, and then there would be a video that was in that same vein, but not about Jurassic Park. Yeah. Rather about how uh, this Erratus thing was a dark conspiracy, and I think that it was even, uh, the person was worried about 
their mother being under surveillance. Yeah, because the mom was the one originally uploading all the Jurassic Park videos cause it, or something, and then— yeah, that yeah. that her her own mental acuity was deteriorating as a result of this, and yeah, like it was very very strange. And then uh, it, people found that if they turned on captions mm-hmm. for these videos, uh, because you couldn't really make anything out in the videos, but yeah. if you turn on captions, you would get these captions that would not appear otherwise. Yeah, that left clues, and if you followed the clues, you would eventually find yourself looking at the Bandcamp page for a band called KFC Murder Chicks. Are we going to get sued for no. saying KFC? No. <laughs> but uh, That's what the band was called. I'm, yeah, are they going to get sued? I'm, but, uh, probably not at this point. It sounds to me like that band has been defunct for a very yeah. long time. So what this eventually appeared to be was a case of a person working on a music project, which largely was based around taking snippets of audio from videos and putting it together into really weird uh, comp- compositions. Yeah, the, the purpose of the band was to create a type of music called internet sounds. Yeah, deep where, internet. Yeah, the deep internet sounds. And it was supposed to be some sort of weird distorted background noise. It, almost. it, it made me yeah. think of like a perhaps less focused uh, approach to to performance as uh, Negative Land does. And uh, that's a band that does a lot of uh, compositions by taking pieces, audio snippets from different sources and putting them together into very interesting uh, uh, audio, like in- interesting albums, actually. In fact, I had... Uh, one of the founding members of Negative Land on for a couple of episodes when oh, we cool. talked about that work. So it's similar to that. And in fact, the the person who had uh, created these would later say, yeah, this was just sort of my attempt to kind of make something. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really have a fully fleshed out plan on how that was going to work. But on the internet, people were following it and filling in the gaps. Mm-hmm. And making it more than what it was. Yeah. And treating it like, oh, there really is this conspiracy out there. And one of the crazy things about conspiracy theories is that if you come out and tell someone, no, that was all manufactured, it's not actually a conspiracy, that ends up being— Part con- of the conspiracy. Yeah. It's yeah. a cover-up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's no way to disprove a conspiracy to someone who's desperately going to follow that conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. They They— they are invested in believing in it. Yeah. And so any counter evidence you give was manufactured to discredit the conspiracy, but it yeah. doesn't disprove it, that kind of thing. So this is another one of those cases where, again, I, I had never even heard of this until you asked me about it. I honestly, at the beginning of this week, I was just very sick and and going through just the interwebs, and I came across a video about Eratos conspiracy and I was like that sounds like something he has talked about at some point I don't know there are so many <laughs> episodes that I yeah. I'm not sure I mean it may turn um, out that there that I have covered this very same story yeah and I wouldn't remember and it, this was all a conspiracy in and of itself well I think it's fascinating and we have a little bit more to talk about uh, as far as misinformation goes where like in this case I would say that 
the Aratus thing kind of falls into the land of the alternate reality game genre. So alternate reality games are where you mix reality and the fictional world within a game. Mm -hmm. And um, there are a lot of examples. They typically are marketing tools. So, for example, uh, AI, the movie AI, the the Spielberg-Kubrick film AI, had an alternate reality game associated with it that a lot of people refer to as The Beast. And it was a story that played out mostly online, but included some stuff where people could interact not just online, but they could get faxes and phone calls and stuff. So it was like the fictional world of the game would reach across the barrier between reality and fiction and interact with you in in ways in the real world that typically games don't. So it became kind of a role-playing game almost. Um, And I think that that's one version that can end up being misconstrued as being reality as opposed to, no, this is a marketing thing or it's it's meant to be a game. When we come back, we're going to talk about examples of misinformation that were created specifically to perpetuate an agenda, not to create some sort of fiction or a game. We'll do yeah. that after we come back from this quick break. All right, we're we're getting into the home stretch, and this is some of the darkest stuff we have to talk about. Yeah. So there are communities out on the internet that sow discord, and they may do it for multiple reasons. They might just want to, you know, it might be like what Christopher Nolan would say, some people just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. Um, in some cases, it's to push a particular agenda that they really believe in or to discredit an agenda that they do not like. Yeah. And um, and all's fair in these communities. And in fact, you have multiple people with different motivators all working toward the same goal. Some people may earnestly want to bring down something. Some people may ju- just think it's funny to see commotion come out of their work. You know, some people just want to get a rise out of people. Mm-hmm. Um But the communities that we typically see this in the most are places like 4chan and 8chan, Mm -hmm. where we get groups of people who find each other, they have some sort of commonality between them, and they know how to gamify systems. They know how people think, and they know how systems work. And using those two things together, they can perpetuate misinformation and lies and uh, push forward their own agenda. And we've seen that several times over the last few years in particular. So one entity or one group would be QAnon. Really, that's originally an entity, uh, a a person who was posting with the handle Q. Um, So QAnon meaning anonymous Mm -hmm. that has posted numerous things that were – very conspiracy-oriented, directed at particular uh, groups or people, for example, Hillary Clinton. Um, And it ends up being something, a narrative that ends up being picked up by other people and then presented as truth that then gets reinforced again and again to the point where you start seeing some of those things that have never shown 
to have any actual truth to them being presented by uh, by media outlets as yeah. truth. Usually right-wing media outlets, you don't tend to see that in uh, beyond that group, but it has become a real issue. And one example of that has been known as Pizzagate. And Pizzagate is a pretty, a, a truly terrible story. Uh, and it's it's one that alleges that there was this particular pizza parlor where secretly there was a pedophilia ring running through this, this pizza parlor. Like that was like the nexus for this pedophilia ring. Uh, and that this establishment also had a connection to the Clintons. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of different people posting on a, de- a lot of different platforms that were trying to substantiate these claims that, again, under investigation, there was no evidence to support any of it. But that wasn't what was important. What was important was that groundswell of people making these allegations and then immediately responding to any criticism by saying you're trying to cover this up. Mm-hmm. And that is unacceptable. There are children uh, and their their welfare that's at stake and how dare you. And, I mean, that's a very powerful emotional lever to pull. Yeah. So it was really effective, at least in certain circles. An appeal to pity. Yes. And also it it's one of those arguments where – you are confirming someone's bias yeah. that's directed toward a certain group, right? So that's one of the reasons why we really wanted to talk about this topic too is the idea that why do these things get spread so fast and why mm-hmm. do they get adopted so quickly? And it's a couple of different things. Uh, one of the big things is just the way human behavior tends to work. Mm-hmm. So, Shay, if you come up to me and you tell me something that that seems to confirm a bias I already have, I am more inclined to believe you, right? Yeah. Because you seem to be telling me something that that reinforces a belief I already possess. Yeah. So if I believe I have a sweet, sweet style, despite all evidence to the contrary. I mean. And you come up and you say, wow, you're really got, that outfit's really well put together. You really are looking great today. Uh, I can sit there and think like, oh, yeah, I knew I had a sweet, sweet style. And Shay has just reinforced that belief. So while any objective viewer might look at me and think this guy doesn't even know how to match his socks, I'm but walking down the street thinking I got sweet, sweet style. Neither now, did Alamona. <laughs> yes. But in, in that case, that was that's harmless, right? But if I have, let's say, a different belief, let's say that I believe – that um, an organization like the Red Cross, mm-hmm. let's say I have a belief that the Red Cross is actually doing something really nefarious. Yeah. And then you were to come to me and say, I just heard that uh, over in South Carolina, the Red Cross has quarantined this entire community and they won't tell anyone why. And it like it doesn't even have to make any sense. Yeah. Right? It doesn't have to have it doesn't have to make any sense. You have to have you don't have to have any corroborating evidence. If it plays into a belief I already have, I am more inclined to believe you. Yeah. So that's part of it. If it plays on a fear I have, I'm more inclined to believe you. Because if I'm already afraid of something and you tell me there's that that fear is 
uh, is r- rational or is you know legitimate because of some other reason, I'm more inclined to believe you. On top of that, we have these internet communities. And uh, in some cases, you might have something like a subreddit where you have these people who share some sort of common interest or common trait. They will reinforce their beliefs. It becomes an echo chamber. Yeah. But you also have platforms like Facebook. And Facebook, the way it works is that when a post gets a lot of engagement, Mm -hmm. when people are leaving comments, when people are sharing it, when people are liking it, when people are replying to one another, Facebook sees that activity. And Facebook makes money when people are spending time on Facebook. So if they see, if they being an algorithm, actually, it's not even a person, if the Facebook algorithm identifies certain posts as being really productive from an engagement standpoint, those posts are valuable because it means when people see this, they spend more time on the platform. When they spend more time on the platform, we make more money. So let's promote the posts that are getting this kind of crazy engagement. And so that's why you see posts that are not necessarily uh, sincere or earnest or accurate or truthful get promoted on sites like Facebook. In fact, that's one of the big reasons why the United States government has called Facebook to task on multiple occasions for perpetuating, you know, quote-unquote fake news. Yeah. uh, Which a term I hate because it's often used to discredit actual news. Yeah. While not being applied to what is truly fake news, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. So it's a tricky situation mm-hmm. because as a, as a human being, it's asking what, – what I'm asking you to do is to engage your critical thinking skills even when you're encountering something that seems to be confirming your beliefs – like you have to you have to apply critical thinking even in those cases especially in those cases because that's when you're most vulnerable to accepting a lie as the truth when it is telling you something that you want to hear or it's reaffirming something you were afraid of that's when you have to apply those critical thinking skills the most because the people who are perpetuating this stuff they already are – they're aware, at least on a certain level, of human psychology and yeah. how these things work and how messages can be delivered in a way that will get the broadest acceptance. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep that in mind. Like they're gamifying the system and the system happens to be the way people think and the way these communities operate. It's um, – to quote my favorite musical ever – created um, Reefer Madness, the musical. Okay, I was thinking it was going to be Repo, the genetic opera, but go ahead. I mean, I guess we could find a connection there as well, but uh, Reefer Mad- the very last line in Reefer Madness, the musical, is when dangers near exploit their fear, the end will justify the means. Yeah, so this is not, this is not a new idea. I mean, propaganda is largely based on this same principle. Yeah. In fact, you know, you could say that a lot of the people who are creating this misinformation, they're just following in the same footsteps as ad executives and yeah. uh, and and political operatives have for for decades yeah. or longer. Um, so the, hoax has always been part of advertisement, pretty much. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. I mean you look back at like some the the series Mad Men 
was based off of actual advertising executives who really did find incredibly creative ways to convince people to buy stuff that they didn't want or need. And the same thing is true now about much more critical stuff, like who our leaders are or what policies we should adopt or what groups we should, you know, pay attention to. So it's a, it's a, you know, while we started off kind of talking about folklore, yeah. the important thing is that we need to be able to separate fiction from truth. We can still enjoy fiction. Yeah. I think stuff like creepypasta has a, definitely has a place. Yeah. It just has a place as accepting it as, hey, let's get around the fire and tell ghost stories, not come here, you need to hear this because it might save your life. Yeah. Right? That's the difference. We have to be able to differentiate those two things. If we don't, we're more likely than not to act on incorrect information. Yeah. So Jeff the Killer is not really in your bedroom. I sure hope not. I mean, wouldn't it I be hilarious? It. I would if... have to clean. I would feel so awkward. I'd be like, I'm so sorry for the mess. <laughs> You've been hanging around I, me too much, apologizing I, to I, like, serial just, killers. Just, just kill me now because I feel so embarrassed. And they'd be like, listen, you've... Maybe he would help you clean it before... I'd say you made your bed, but you clearly haven't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's just going to dirty it up anyway. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Just stabby, stab, stab. Uh, which, uh, ironically, was the name of the operation that the two girls who carried out the Slenderman no, attack... Yeah, they called it stabby, stab, stab. That is... That's actually not what they creative. referred to. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, I I thought I was just pulling that out of thin air, but then I remembered, nope, that's what they called that. So that was a callback, uh, not on purpose. That was just my brain sabotaging me. Uh huh. It Again, does that. Not not creative. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know that's the lack of creativity is not the worst part of no, that story, that's but still, the least problematic part of it. Yeah. Well, Shay, yes. thank you for your suggestion. Thank you for letting me come on the show and annoy you. You did, more. didn't annoy me at all. It was very helpful. And I am glad to have someone to talk with so that it, you know, we can have that sort of conversation. And you can, you know, you introduced me to stuff I had not heard about. And I find a lot of it fascinating. You introduced me to something I didn't know about that was written by a guy I do know, which was weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, well. Yeah, that uh, was odd. Now I got to uh, watch the show, like, in its entirety now. Yeah, now he wrote the original Creepypasta. I don't think he was connected to the show, except maybe he I mean, probably got a credit. Yeah, I probably got, like, a writer's credit yeah. or maybe even, like, a producer's credit. I, I, I honestly don't know. And honestly, it's not like we're friends or anything. I literally interviewed him for an article, so. What he's saying is that he wants to be your friend. I mean, that's Mr. true. Mr. Stobb, it's he wants true. to be your friend. It's true, but it's not, not relevant. Okay, so. <laughs> If you guys have suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, or maybe there's someone you want me to have on as a guest, or maybe you think, why don't you have that Shay person on again? You need to let me know. You can uh, reach out to me on Facebook or Twitter. The handle for both of those is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 